Kiora, Nihao, and hello. Welcome to the Chewy Journal podcast. I'm your host Camille Yang. My guest today is Xuan. Xuan's footprints covered from a small village in China to the capital city Beijing. Then she moved to DC and New York, and now settled in London. She studied English literature, linguistics, and philosophy at university, and trained herself in programming. And currently works as a software engineer. In today's episode, we talk about human-computer languages, reality versus intuition, women in tech, and job interview tips. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Xuan. Really good to see you again. First of all, I need to say thank you. You know, during lockdown, you proposed the idea we exchange poetry reading, which encouraged me to set up the channel to record the podcast, A Paradise of Poems. And I just read the Spotify analysis; it reached like sixty-five countries and got almost fifty thousand listening times. Wow! I, I do appreciate <laughs> your idea. Yeah, that's really amazing. Yeah, um, it it was it was so fun to um send poems to each other every day, and it was also like a, a way of expressing our emotions without getting into the very explicit feelings. True. Yeah, because before, as you know, I was in a relationship with a very rational guy, <laughs> so I kind of hiding all my emotions because I try to be a rational person and.、Uh, Just not express my emotion that much. I think that your idea just saved my life. I can see that because <laughs> I'm a very expressional person. So by reading poems and by building up that channel, I do feel like I oh I reburn. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit exaggeration, but、uh, I do feel I need to find the feelings inside me. Yeah, yeah, much appreciate that. Yeah,、mm-hmm. I think the art form is of poetry is really amazing in terms of like expressing our feelings with words. It was really good. I'm curious, why why did you think you suppress your、um, more emotional side of or the more intuitive side of you when you were、um, dating a rational guy? Yeah, they sometimes accuse me too emotional, emotional unstable. <laughs> you know, when I love something, I like to oh my god, I'm so excited like this. But、um, you know, rational people will say, um, we need to deal with our emotion. Underneath, you can't express too much. If you want to beat your enemy or in the business world, you you need to be very calm on the surface. So interesting. Kind of a coping mechanism, I would say. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I I think the like the natural passion and enthusiasm for um for things and events and life is just like the natural side of、uh, human beings.、Um, suppressing that side is. Completely irrational. <laughs> yeah, now I can agree with you. But before, I was thinking, yeah, I need to train myself as a machine, no emotion, make all the decision based on a, like rational thinking. But、uh, you know,、uh, recently I I read a lot of books mentioned we are in a like transformation age. Before, we always use the left hand brain to think rationally, but. Lead to a lot of disaster, the hating, and、uh, a lot of、um, depressions and mental illness. But we we sometimes just ignore the right side brain, which is more 
creative and can absorb information like way larger than the left brain can deal with. Left brain normally probably can deal with 60 bits information, but right side brain can deal like trillions of uh, information. Hmm. I- I'll recommend some books to you and some podcasts and it can explain better than, than myself because I'm still digesting those information. I know it's inside me, but I need to find a way to express better. <laughs> As I know, you learned the linguistic and philosophy when you were in university. Yeah. And now you become a coder, <laughs> software engineer. You kind of learning the human language first. Mm-hmm. Now you are learning machine language. Can you walk me through the journey of your yes. career decision yeah. and why you choose this path? Yeah, Um. so initially I studied uh, English literature in in college uh, when I was in China and uh, the reason why I chose in English literature well as you know in in China you have to choose a major before you go to the university mm-hmm. I was this girl grew, growing up in um, in a village and I just didn't know any better um, growing up I didn't really have that many books to read and so I thought of I could just go to university and um, and read full time. Uh, that would be really, really amazing. So uh, that's why I chose English literature. At the final year of my my undergrad studies, I took a course in linguistics, and it just like really just blew my mind. It was just so interesting how the human brain works and. Um, how we're able to communicate with each other in language in terms of like everyone has a different idea of what a word might mean but somehow we are able to communicate with each other so I just got really really interested in uh, linguistics so I did a master's in um, in theoretical linguistics and then during my master's studies of linguistics, I started to get into the more foundational side of the linguistic theory, which is more or less just philosophy of language. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got very interested in philosophy of language. So I decided to go to the U.S. for graduate studies in uh, philosophy of, of language. And uh, when I was in the U.S., the kind of linguistic studies uh, at my university was more uh, cognitive science based and so so yeah so I got um, very interested in cognitive side of language and computational side of language as well um, most of it is just like formal um, systems of like uh, deriving syntax trees and and so on and uh, trying to write like uh, find out an equation or a formalizing the sentences in a way that we could try to understand how the brain uh, is able to process language in in ways that humans actually do. So yeah, that's my journey, very long journey of <laughs> studying many different topics. But in some ways, these are all very connected. It's all about language. It's all about understanding. It's all about uh, using language to express ourselves, to sort of uh, frame a, a problem 
and and then find solutions to to solve the problem. So so yeah. So after my studies in the U.S., um, my partner and uh, got a job in London, and so we we decided to move to London because it was a job that he was really really interested in, and um, it was kind of also like a level up. Uh, for him, and it was towards the direction that he really wanted to work on. So we decided to move to London. And I thought when I moved to London, like it was, it was hard, kind of hard to find a job teaching. I decided that this was like my one and only chance of learning how to code, because I was always interested in in coding. And when I was a, a teacher during my graduate studies, I actually used coding to solve some of my problems uh, to automate some of the mundane details of um, of grading. Ah, so that's how I got into coding. And um, but I never really had like. Two or three months of like focused time to to learn how to code systematically. So um, I thought, you know, by moving to London and I had so much time ahead, so I decided to join a coding bootcamp and really learn um, the basics of coding and, and to learn how to actually make an application instead of just like googling and then copying and pasting. <laughs> That's another thing I need to thank you because when you switch your career to tech, and you mentioned the coding thing, that you did some research that found a free code camp mm-hmm. where I learned how to code and just upgrade my website by myself because I can add so many functions. I don't need to ask web designer to do it for me. I can just do myself. It's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't exactly. uh, didn't go in deep into this industry, but it's good to master some basic coding skills. Yeah, absolutely. And um, knowing how to code is also very empowering. Like as you said, when uh, before you probably would ask someone to help you to um, to change some of the layout of your website and um, and so on. But but now you could just do it on your own. And similarly, like now when I like before when I had an idea i would always be like only if someone can make this app but now um, <laughs> for me when i have an idea i would think about how can i make it happen yeah is it gives you uh, like foundation you have the confidence to make it happen yeah exactly it's uh very very empowering i also think that right now every industry is um is moving to digital or uh, every industry is trying to digitalize. And I think it, it's good to have some basic uh, coding literacy to um, to, re- to just have an idea of what's possible and um, how long things might take or how easy or how difficult um, certain things might be. Mm, yeah, totally agree. When you learn computer languages, what's the fundamental logic difference? from computing language to human language? It's it's not really that different, actually. It's more or less like human language, but in a more precise way. I would say programming languages, um, it, it's the language that you use to talk to the computers. And com- the computer is a very, very literal 
being. Like you, you need to tell them exactly what to do. For example, like you know, if you want to make instant noodles, you um you need to give very very precise instructions of like where to get that pack of of ramen and um how to open it, how to put it in the frying pan or uh, or just like a, a pot and um and how how much water you need to put in, uh, how long you need to boil it for and so on. So it's just like every single step you need to be very very explicit. Uh there shouldn't be any assumptions at all. You just need to uh make every step very very clear. By making every step very very clear, I mean the um you know the the regular kind of um programming not in terms of machine learning of course um machine learning um you don't need to give very specific uh instructions and that's precisely what machine learning mm-hmm. could do yeah. right uh given certain input they could just learn on their own um and then generate the um the output or try to understand the input in in ways that you might not have um understood before yeah i i watched some uh, gpt3 demos it just uh, amazed me <laughs> like shocked <laughs> how capable they can with yeah gather a lot of information and generate their own thinking air quote own thinking Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's the, another thing I find a little bit confused because you know when we talk as a human, we want our ideas and we want to be understood by the other part. So if we can be very rational like a machine, then deliver our message in a very accurate way, maybe others can understand you better. That's another reason why I try to compress my emotion. I want to deliver my message in a very accurate way, which is zero emotion, but just information. <laughs> I'm very keen to hear your opinion on that. I'm not quite sure, actually. As you said earlier, that the poetry really helped you understand yourself and um and helped you find out like your um your own emotions and and also liberate your uh your emotions and feelings these are not the kind of expressions that uh computers can do or can understand so i don't know if we really need to communicate in such a precise way as as computers do I have to think more about this. But mm-hmm. yeah, human language has a um certain ambiguity to it and I think that's precisely like the the beauty of it. I spent a lot of time trying to understand how human communication is possible given that everyone has a uh, very uh, or perhaps has like very different images or meanings associated with um the words they use. Somehow we have certain kind of proxy that help us understand each other. Misunderstanding and miscommunication is is definitely inevitable given the nature of um of language. Yeah, I don't um, I don't know if we really really want to be so precise. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think it's the like the deep loneliness among everybody. We just want to be understood by others. That's why I I started communications in postgraduate diploma because I do want to how we can better communicate with with each other so we can all know each other. Because you know maybe some people they have. So many ideas and thoughts, but they can't express themselves that ba- that much, and people normally misunderstand them, which lead them to be an outsider or misfits. I'm very interested in this domain, and yeah, sometimes I just try. I want to try different way to communicate myself or help other communicate their ideas. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, and sometimes I joke with my friend. I I want to <laughs> link my brand with a neural link. <laughs> so Elon Musk, I, I I put my bet on Elon Musk. So hopefully, I can live that long. <laughs> I don't know. Do we really need to be understood all the time? I don't know. I sometimes I I you know I write a lot of articles and sometimes my reader left the comment. It's just like what? It's not what I mean. How did you get this understanding from my article? I find I find it's not annoyed but very interesting. Like a saying said, one、uh, thousand readers have one thousand interpretation of Hamlet. Yeah, that's why I when I read something I find so resonated. I feel like oh my god, that's a feeling I want all the time. <laughs> So why why do you think we don't need to be understood all the time? I think first of all, it's not possible to be understood all the time because everyone has very different knowledge background and a very different upbringing and、uh, had very different experiences before, and so when they express、uh, certain things、um, in in language, they probably have like all. Different things associated with it, and you can never fully really understand the context or the the emotional and the intellectual context of a sentence、um, expressed by a, a person. Communication is kind of like a constant negotiation between、um, two parties.、Uh, it, it's through this process of negotiation we reach certain. Kind of、uh, common ground,、uh, if we are lucky, for sure.、Um, <laughs> I, I think that's also part of the the fun of it, right? Like you you get to know each other, you get to、um, you get to understand each other's、uh, motivations, experiences, and values and perspectives、mm. through、um, the process of communicating and negotiating.、Mm. Yeah, maybe I'm too impatient for the long time <laughs> communications. Yeah, sometimes I find math and、um, music can be a universal language. You know, at the moment I live with a couple of musicians. They're from different part of the world, from Argentina, Venezuela, Spain, English. You know, it's all not our native language, but with music we can communicate each other because we all have this、um, understanding for music. Different melody can bring different emotion or the message we want to deliver. That's very interesting. Yeah, um, I'm so jealous. You have、mm-hmm. like so much creative energy <laughs> around you. I'm curious. Do you think by using music? 
Yeah, do you think you could really fully communicate with each other without、um, expressing your feelings and emotions in words? Yeah, I do feel the something inside me like connected with them. I was、uh, telling you, I had a. A non-stop party <laughs> since Friday, <laughs> and only have two hours sleep.、Mm. And we performed at、uh, some country house, especially dancing. Like moving your body also is a, a way to express yourself. Yeah, we can feel it when the music, for example,、mm. when the music is very slow, we dance like very slowly with the melody, and we kind of all dancing this way together. Then when the music. Uh, become、um, very fast, and we kind of express our passions all through that. Yeah, just、uh, like universal movement. I mean, that's another thing. As I mentioned, I read something about the left brain and、uh, right brain, and you can't just、uh, put your brain <laughs> with link to the vet. You know, the brain in the vet by a crazy side. You need your body. You need the connection. When you move, when you dancing or do some rituals, religion rituals, that's the connection between your body and brain. And I feel like music can achieve this goal. Use every part of your body as a human to connect with with each other. I don't know if that makes sense. But when we talk, maybe we just use our Verbal or hearing function, which is like like five sense senses. But with music, I think you can can wake up the sixth sense or seventh sense. <laughs> This sounds sounds like a not rational again.、It、sounds like woo woo sense, like too spiritual. <laughs> But I do find with music, every time we had that music communication, we kind of know each other better. Is is beyond your rational mind to process the communication?、Mm, perhaps it's、um, because it activates different parts of the brain and、mm-hmm. recognizes the, the different patterns. And、um, as you said about dancing, I think your body movement is just、uh, you know it's it's all con- controlled by the neural system anyway. So it it is a, a way of expression、uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I find ah, this is if I explain to people, people will say, "Are you crazy? This is not a scientific thing. Like you, you use your sixth sense or seventh sense <laughs> to communicate." But I do find find the limitation of language, as、uh, especially using English as as a non-native speaker. Find oh, so hard. I can't find the right word to communicate. What was your thoughts when you communicate deeply with others? Do you find you prefer use Chinese or English, or coding? <laughs> I guess it depends on the topics、mm-hmm. and depends on the people that I talk to, because for certain topics I learned in in Chinese, and and for certain topics I learned in English.、Mm-hmm. So like I probably don't have like the vip. Vocabulary for certain Chinese dishes, for example,、uh, I just un- I was just unable to、um, to use English to express certain kind of styles of Chinese food or、um, or the kind of、uh, taste that you could only communicate with the people from your community who had similar experience of of eating the same food and so on. Um, but in terms of coding, like 
I find it hard for me to understand coding-related articles in Chinese because I learned it in the English setting, and sometimes、um, I don't fully understand the terms that were translated into Chinese. And so, so yeah, so I, I, I think it depends on the kind of context where I acquired the the vocabularies for、um, for certain topics. And I find a lot of European languages they have their own word which cannot be translated into English. Like my Portuguese friend told me, "saudade" is kind of feeling nostalgia, longing for something, maybe in the future. But、mm-hmm. people can say, "Oh, it's kind of a nostalgia feeling." But nostalgia is only mean the missing something in the past. But saudade can. Can combine the future, so it's kind of、uh, like all the Portuguese with their language. They have the, this thinking: we kind of live in the past, the present, and the future together. They can see the future. I don't know if that makes sense. Like time doesn't ex- exist because it, it's kind of like already happened. You are working this way. Ah,、uh, do, do do you mean like um certain languages um. Have different ways of expressing time. So, for、mm-hmm. example, like in English, you have past tense and、um, present tense, and future and、um, and present perfect or something.、Um, yeah. So, but in in Chinese, you don't really have past tense.、Mm. This let me wonder what is the reality. Like people all have a different reality if they speak different language. So. But with music or mathematics, we kind of live in a same reality. We all see the world like that way. That's very interesting. Yeah, I don't know. How do you define reality? Yeah, yeah, that's another topic. <laughs> yeah, especially after the psychedelic experience, you kind of question the reality. What is that? <laughs> yeah, so many to explore. That's why I want to live forever. I want to. <laughs> Explore everything. I'm so curious about everything. <laughs> Do you think your psychedelic experience changed how you think about your day-to-day experiences right now? After my psychedelic experience, I kind of、uh, abandoned my reality, <laughs> real reality. But now I kind of grounded. So I think, yeah, that's a that's a true reality. I'm living now, so I can't just、uh, longing for that psychedelic experience. But、uh, it's、uh, kind of resonates with me, because as I mentioned before, I I dream a lot, and sometimes my dream happened in reality, which scared me <laughs> before.、Mm. It's kind of like, oh wow, are you are you a witch? You can tell the future or something like that. But with psychedelics, I do feel like yeah, time, yeah, it's not what we we see it. It's not、uh, linear. It's not straightforward. Maybe it's happening in different dimensions. <laughs> I just feel like a, a release, like my my fear of my ability to see something on Euro is、um, is disappeared. Kind of give me a courage to live fearless in my reality now. Ah, interesting. So you you think like normally you have like this inhibition of um what you should say and what you should not say, but the psychedelics kind of are、uh, re 
release that that inhibition and um, and you feel the freedom of expressing yourself in any way that you wanted to. Yeah, I just think yeah, psychedelic helped me to get rid of my fear. Because when I tell people, oh, I dream of that, sometimes I record my dream in my diary. You know, I've been writing diary for 20 years. And sometimes when the things I wrote before happened in reality, there's no certain time frame, maybe a couple of days later or a couple of years later it's happened. So I say, oh my God, this already happened in my dream. Interesting. So, yeah, I kind of very, yeah, very, very afraid of that. I was like, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> yeah, but with a psychedelic, I kind of okay. We do live in a multiple dimension, maybe. I I can't find scientific way. I don't think anybody can at the moment with our current science hmm. development. But it helped me to get rid of these fears, which is very helpful. um, What's an example of um, something that you have dreamt before and um, and then later happened in real life? I think you can see it as as a deja vu, this kind of feeling. But it's uh, Hmm. strong. Or you can say it's uh, like, for example, if I move to the UK, I know I'm going to move here, but I don't know when. Like I dreamed it before, which made me make that decision. Okay, okay, I, I see myself in the UK. Okay, I I want to go there. Then I use my rational mind to add some, some motivation. Okay, I love football. England got football. <laughs> yeah, is a I don't know. I don't know how to explain that better. I just say it before. It's like a, your intuition. You know you are going there. Like even for Portugal. I kind of dreamed of it. I see myself there. Mm. Then later on, I'll gather all the information to explain to people to see why I make this decision. Otherwise, I can't tell people, oh, I see myself there. Then I go. People will say, are you crazy? <laughs> so it, it, it's like you um, you had a goal, but it was not like mm. uh, very clearly planned. But later on, you you found yourself um, in in the situation where you wanted um, to be. And I didn't make any effort to achieve this goal. You know, when we make goals, we, we will have a plan. Then, okay, I'll follow this, follow that. Then I'll achieve my goal. But for those dreams or visions, I just feel, okay, it's there. But it's a dream. I don't care <laughs> if it's happened or not happened. <laughs> I don't know. But it's just happened, so I feel like oh, mm. interesting, yeah. So you, uh, you probably had a very positive experience in your dream, and then um, that gave you like a very positive impression of, um, for example, um, life in London, and so you, you know, when time comes to, when you need to make a decision of whether you want to come to London or not, then you will be more inclined to do so. Mm. And sometimes I feel it's uh, very hard to keep the story consistent. Like I can tell people why I moved to London with 100 reasons. <laughs> but uh, deep inside, it's just uh, my intuition. Like Portugal, I can, I can come up with so many reasons, like rational reasons. It makes sense why you make this decision. Yeah, I think um, no one really has a consistent story of um, 
of one's life. Whenever we think about our decisions in the past, or um, or when we are trying to retell a story of um, our experiences in the past, we're always trying to rationalize our behaviors and our decisions. And in different contexts, we might have different um, stories to tell or different ways of rationalizing our um, decisions and experiences. But with that, I feel like, uh, are you true to yourself? Because you, you come up with so many different reasons and each story is different than maybe other will think, oh, why you tell different stories? There is no one true story. But for me, I kind of uh, live in this life. I say, oh, I don't care about others. That's that's the way I explain to you because I, I think you probably, it will make sense if I give you this reason. So before I was very like living in other people's eyes, like, okay, I need to place others or I need to need to tell my story in the accept, acceptable way the society needs us to do. But now I can feel like, yeah, I can say whatever I want. <laughs> okay, I'll u- I'll, I can use different languages. But sometimes I do feel a little bit, no. mm, it's inconsistency. But uh, that's a partial truth. Yeah, it's not like one hundred percent truth, which uh, my intuition leads me. But uh, it's also the partial truth. Yeah, sometimes I feel like in a dilemma. Am I honest, honest to myself or to others? I don't know. <laughs> a few very interesting things. Um, so. Before you were um, telling your story in, in in a way you were kind of fitting your narrative um, in the framework of other people's um, perspectives and um, you were telling your story according to how other people expected you to tell your story. Mm. But now you are telling the story from your own perspective, like you are controlling your own narrative. What made you change yeah as i mentioned i get rid of my fear i i can live my my life now i don't need to care about others how they think of me how they think of my story i can write my own story how did you get rid of that fear because um, we as social creatures, we we always have this tendency of trying to like make other people happy, trying to um, please other people. Um, so how did you how did you make that transition? What made you change? I think lockdown helps a lot, which I have so much time being alone. <laughs> yeah, so I think, ah, oh, I can be alone because, you know, I'm a very outgoing and uh, extrovert person. Before I think, oh, I need to be with certain group or certain friends. But during lockdown, I feel like, oh, I can live peacefully with myself. And also the psychedelic and meditation, I think after four years of meditation mm. and also the psychedelics mm. helps, helps me to think, yeah, I don't need to leave other people. They expect me to leave. I, I can leave my own and... Uh, just uh, be true to myself and express my story, the the story I want to, the world know me. I think this is a journey. So lockdown um, made you feel that um, solitude is not something to be afraid of. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because before I always, okay, I, 
what do I do? I need to go to the party, be with people, but I feel the like deep loneliness even with the crowd.、Mm. But、uh, yeah, with myself, I think meditation can set you free. Like okay, you you can just be with your thoughts and、uh, writing, especially writing. I do feel like oh, I don't need others to be around me. I need my space. I need my space to. Write more and express myself more. Yeah, I think lockdown definitely do good on me. <laughs> yeah, you are definitely one of those examples of、uh, people who came out of lockdown stronger、mm-hmm. and happier. Yeah, yeah, I feel like oh, <laughs> interesting. Although I know it's、uh, yeah, you can't say oh, thanks COVID, I love you. This kind of thing is、uh, ethnically. <laughs> Uh, incorrected. So, but、uh, yeah, I do feel like lockdown is、uh, like alarm or reminder、hmm. to me. Yeah, that's that's really really cool. Another thing that you said that really interested me.、Uh, you said that you sometimes when you had like different narratives for the same、uh, experiences, you kind of feel that you had this like inconsistency. And、uh, you were afraid that you, well, well, not afraid, but you were wondering if you were really true to yourself. So by、uh, by saying that you are true to yourself, that's assuming that there's a self that's like static. I wonder if there is、um, one such self that you you kind of like hold as a standard of like. You know, this is my true self, and、uh, this is how I want to、um, adhere to the principles of how I want to be myself.、Mm. Yeah, self is a, such a big idea. I I think myself is always changing. It's like flowing. So at a certain point, myself can be. Yeah, if you look at it like a Schrodinger's cat, if you observe it, it will. Become the achieve a certain status, but for myself, I think it's always flowing. You can't define it, but at a certain point, when people ask me a question, that certain moment, myself will be stable. <laughs> so sometimes I feel like do all like every moment of my life to be. Because it's always changing. Do they need to be in a very consistent way, or it can be like one day I'm an artist, one day the other day I'm a writer. So I have so many identities. I don't know how those all identities can come up with a whole story.、Hmm. You know, all the TV shows like they have one season, one season, two season, till season ten. Because sometimes people say, "Oh, the first three seasons is wonderful, but the season ten is sucked." So I think my my life would be like that. So I live different、uh, seasons of life, and maybe people love only one season, and they think, "Oh, that's a true chameleon." But、uh, later on, I become a season ten chameleon. They think, "What the hell? Who is this girl? I don't know her anymore. I don't like this story anymore." Feel like my life will will be like that, but I don't afraid of that anymore. Before I thought, oh, I need to keep the consistency to, to stay to my character always like that. People always think, oh, you're cute, you're smart, this kind of thing. But now I can be any anyone I want, 
and I don't care about the other my audience anymore. <laughs> no, that's interesting. Um, so for most TV shows, there are many different writers for each season or even for like each episode. So um, it is conceivable that like there won't be a consistent storyline. And for for yourself. Do you think there's a consistent storyline for um for you? And do you think there's a stable self? And if there is a stable self, how do you characterize it? I think I can go back to my childhood, like the thing I I was born with. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. When I was、uh, like four or five years old, I start to read the、uh, Buddhism books. Have no idea why I read them. I, I don't even remember what like what the information I gather from there. It's just so random. I pick up those books, and later on, I pick up Nietzsche's books. I found yeah, it's a philosophy and、uh, spirituality. It's always kind of embedded in my blood. I feel like I it's always my spirituality lead me the way of how I live my life. I think that's probably the most consistency thing happened to me, and writing is another thing. I published my novel when I was in primary school, so it's always writing. I think that's the only consistent thing in in my life. Other all my careers or all my relationships, they can't define me as a person. Sometimes I can be, I can be a corporate manager, and the other time I can be a Street artist, so this not consistent.、Yeah. Mm, interesting. So you think writing is a very consistent identity of you? If I look back, yeah, I always write. Ah, so you when you look back, you can probably find a consistent、um, storyline for yourself.、Mm, the pattern. What about you? Have you found the the dot you you collect on the way? Did you find any theme all throughout your life? I guess y- yes and no.、Um, yes, in terms of、um, I'm always curious about how everything works, and、um, so I、um, my main motivation for 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 studying or for for jobs、um, it's always about learning new things to deepen my understanding of how things work. How people work, how、um, you know, just like in 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 general, to have an understanding of、um, uh, of the world. That's、um, that's my main motivation. That hasn't、um, changed, I guess. But I、um, I think because I am always driven by learning new things, so <laughs> I've always been learning different things and.、Um, <laughs> Yeah, hence the trajectory of of、uh, studying many different topics and、um, and switching career and moving around、um, <laughs> from、um, continent to continent. Yeah, yeah, that's how interesting. I found you online. I don't know how I did it. I found you online. We start chat. <laughs> then we meet in real life. Oh, because you mentioned I I was the first person you meet in real life. <laughs> How did you make that decision? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just feel like um because we um I think we 
we follow each other on um on on Weibo, um, which is a Chinese Twitter. I realized that we read many similar books and uh, we had um many similar values and uh, we had quite similar experiences as well. And so I feel mm-hmm. like I already know you, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Like, yeah, from um from from your writings and yeah, just feel like an an old friend. That's very interesting because this is the thing you can't explain in science, <laughs> the serendipity. Yeah, because you know there are like eight hundred million people on Weibo. I don't even know how I followed you then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then it's a kind of, yeah. And then I found, oh, wow, you are in London. And we, we moved to London in the same year. Yeah, around the same yeah, time. We yeah, we live uh, only 10 minutes away from each other back then. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Yeah. Imagine what, what, what the odds are like that um, yes. I moved from New York to London and you moved from New Zealand to London. And um, for some for some reason, we ended up in the same neighborhood. How rare is that? So I found, yeah, this kind of, okay, I, I supposed to meet you in London. <laughs> <laughs> I doomed to meet you. Yes, meant to yeah. be. So that, that's always fascinated with me. Like fate or life can can lead me to a certain way I never expected. And like, for example, when... At the moment, I live um, in the same house with an Argentinian musician. He read I Ching and Dao De Jing. Mm. He has a very deep understanding of all of them, even much better than me. I said, mm. wow, how come a foreigner understand my own country's <laughs> ancient textbook much better than me? We moved to the house at the same date. And the, the owner said, oh, because he, he, he planned to move there a couple of months earlier. I also changed the moving date several times, three times. Then finally, we all moved on the same day and we just found the connection. It's not like a love relationship. It's just like a soul connection. <laughs> I don't have any like sexual things about him, but every time we use music to communicate because his English is not that good. Mm. And I just, oh my God, he understand. Yeah, my feeling. Mm. This is just so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the universe works wonders. Mm-hmm. True. <laughs> oh, as I mentioned before, I do want to talk with you about the job hunting things because I got a lot of readers asking me these questions. And uh, to be honest, all my when I work in a corporate world, all the job I got is just uh, happened. I didn't have much interviews <laughs> experience. And I, I, I know you, you're like a master of the interviews <laughs> and I learn a lot um, from you. Yeah, I um. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm a master of interview, but I um I guess I I do uh prepare for interviews and um yeah. So how how to prepare for a job interview? For example, when you get your first job in tech, because before you don't have any experience in technology in coding, but how how come you get that job and uh, later a lot of the uh, your interviewers who didn't give you that job, but they still remember you. And later on, when they have opportunities, they also contact you. 
a little of, a little bit of background for my um, for the context of my first job search in tech. Um, I finished my coding bootcamp right before the lockdown in London, and um, so <laughs> yeah, lucky timing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so at, at the time, I think a lot of companies were um, unsure about what's going to happen. And so they uh, they were really not hiring at all um, because of uncertainty. And so it, it was um, it was quite, quite tough uh, to to get a job, especially as someone who is just like going into tech without any prior experience in the industry. I think the main thing that really um, helps is that I applied to a ton of jobs. Um, yeah, so I, especially because, you know, like if I already prepared a CV, right, and um, and a template of my cover letter, um, why don't I just apply to a, a lot? Like <laughs> <laughs> if you have a wider net, maybe you can catch some fish. Um <laughs> So, so yeah, so I, I applied to a ton of jobs. I would say I probably applied to like 80 or 90 jobs. Um, and, and then I got three, three interviews. One of them, after the first interview, we were going to proceed to the second one, but then um, the company decided that they wanted to stop hiring for a while because they were not sure. And um, remember, that was back in uh, April um, when lockdown just happened. And so, so yeah, so that didn't happen. And another one, I had really um, good interviews with them. And, um, but then in the end, uh, after the final interview, um, because a lot of people were on furlough, as you know, uh, that's like the the UK government's way of uh, helping people uh, who, I guess the companies were um, not like making people redundant or laying off, but, um, but for a while people just don't really have anything to do. And so a lot of people were on furlough and a lot okay. of people were made redundant uh, during that time. So um, in the end, they hired someone with a, a lot more experience than me. And, um, but because I had really, really good chats with them, um, and that actually led to another interview a year later as well. <laughs> yeah, because it was just like such a, um, a good, we had really, really good conversations and, um, and I stayed in, in touch with them. Um, so, so yeah. And then another one, um, it was. It was the job that I, I eventually got and it was yeah it was pretty straightforward of some coding tests and uh, interviews and for the interview I really um, like for each interview I really prepared a lot for the job that I eventually got um, I know the final interview was with a scrum master and the CTO so <laughs> what I did was, because I only knew that I was going to interview with the Scrum Master the day before. So what I did was um, I read the entire sort of like the the manifesto of, um, of Scrum <laughs> um, in uh, the night before. And so wow. the, um, <laughs> during the interview, we just... I knew that the Scrum Master really, really care about um, agile methodologies, and um, we just had really, really good um, conversations in terms of like how we could apply 
um, agile methodologies in our daily life as well. And um, yeah, so it was just, um, it was really good. I think we just instantly connected with each other because she's very passionate about what she's doing. Someone would actually really understand what she's doing. Um, really uh, made an impression on her. So so yeah. Yeah. So how do you like prepare the whole process? Do will you do some background research on the interviewer, or what was your process behind this preparation? Yeah. Um, so for um for the interviews, I really did like um research the shit out of it. Yes. Stalking <laughs> um, them. <laughs> Yes. Um, so I, I usually would um, look at uh, these people's LinkedIn and um, and see if and and also Google is your best friend when you're um, looking for a job. Yeah. Um, if there are people who, um, if there are like blog articles that people uh, wrote, then I would definitely read through them. Mm-hmm. And um, there's another interview where I was interviewing with someone who who did a master's on how uh, formal methods can help with the software development um, process. So I read his entire dissertation. Wow. And so I, yeah, uh, and during the interview, I kind of just like casually mentioned it and he was very surprised yeah. and, um, mm-hmm. and very impressed as well. And there's another interview. Well, that's a, uh, for my second job, but um, I read the blog post of uh, of one of the engineering managers about um, his views on how to develop junior engineers. And mm. so I um, I mentioned a few of, of the points that he made and, um, and then also um, related to my own experience. And um, yeah, it was just mm. like a very... Um, I think it was like a very organic and um and and interesting conversations because you are actually talking about things that both of you are um genuinely interested in so um so yeah so some people might think like doing a lot of research about interviewers is a little bit creepy because you're kind of like stalking <laughs> them on the internet but um but for me I think because interview the interviewers are the people that you will be working potentially if you get the job uh, you will be working with them so of course you are interested in um, their thoughts and um, their approaches to tech and um, what kind of people they are so um, I think um, I my attitude towards interview is that the interviews are just an opportunity for you to uh, get to know your potential colleagues um, it's a, um, a learning opportunity, and um, so I, um, as long as you are genuinely interested in them as a person, and um, you are genuinely interested in the kind of work they do, then um, the conversation can happen very um, organically, and um, you know, it, it wouldn't sound too creepy or too um, <laughs> artificial, I think. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, a lot of interviewers, the last question they will ask you, oh, do you have any questions for us? What's your methodology on um, prepare these kind of questions? 
Oh, I think uh, for most of my interviews, I at least ask half of the questions, yes. if not more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just really um, did a lot of research about uh, what they're interested in, and um, and usually I would ask uh, um, a few questions about the team and how they work and um, and the kind of problems that they're working on, and um, because. You know, it's very important to understand that whether um, I will be a good fit for the team, not just in terms of personality, but also in terms of the kind of um, skills that they were looking for, and um, and what I could do to help uh, in terms of the problems that they're solving. So, so yeah, so just to have a very good understanding of. Um, what they do and uh, what they're looking for and what kind of problems that they're solving, uh, whether that's the kind of problems that I will be interested in solving and whether that's the kind of problems that I could um, help solve. So, so, so yeah, um, that's, that's just usually when I ask one question and then they will give me some answers and then uh, it just naturally leads to another question because I, um, you know, like, I really wanted to understand um, how they work and whether we could uh, work well together. Mm, cool. So have you found the, you know, the woman in tech movement is uh, growing pretty fast? Have you found a lot of uh, women start in technology world, like yourself, do a career switch? Yeah, I, I guess uh, women in tech became a hashtag on Twitter. Um, it's only because there are not many women in tech. But but yeah, I, I think my experience has mostly been very, very positive so far. So I've had really amazing mentors and um, I've been given a lot of uh, interesting work to do. And so for, for a while, um, I didn't really... Well, I thought I didn't really realize that there's any unconscious bias towards women. But then um, I thought about it after um, our chat last time. And I had a chat with my uh, my partner who's also in, uh, in tech. And um, I was thinking back my own experience. And I realized there are um, unconscious biases and um, I like me, uh, I myself, I didn't even realize it. So um, I can give you some examples. So uh, for example, like I started uh, my tech career last year. So um, I've only been in tech for like less than two years. And uh, you know me that I'm the kind of person who would always ask a lot of questions. And um, so I... I realized now that when I asked a question, um, the senior engineers on um, on my team uh, would always assume that um, there are a lot of basics that I didn't know, and uh, even though like I've already um, I, I already know these pretty well, and I've shown that I know these pretty well in my work. But, um, but it's still, um, you know, they would still start explaining the very basic stuff to me. And for me, I initially I thought like, 
you know, there was just them being nice, trying to start from the most basic. Um, but then uh, my partner told me that uh, he never encountered um, anything like that. Like, even when he was a complete newbie, um, even when he knew way less than what I do now, uh, like no one ever assumed that he didn't know any of the very basic stuff. So I, um, it was a revelation to me <laughs> that um, there is uh, some kind of gender bias in, in tech. Yeah, and another example is that it was one time that I was helping a coworker from a different department, and I helped him automate some of the workflows that he had to do. And um, at the end, he told me, he was like, wow, um, you are actually really, really good. <laughs> and so, so yeah, so the two, two types of experiences, um, I, I did experience them uh, sometimes, not like all the time, but sometimes. And at the time of like when it happened, I didn't really mm -hmm. think of it as like any gender bias or not until my partner told me that like as a white male he was never treated the same so I realized mm. that there are um, some gender associated assumptions either it's good or bad um, mm. and I guess the the assumptions are also like depending on people's upbringing and their social context so um so yeah, but uh, my my response in um, you know in that kind of situation is that first of all, mm. do not take any offense. And, it's not personal. Um, yeah, it's not personal, really. Um, I think these people are all really, really nice people. Mm. They sometimes the, the biases are so implicit that they didn't even realize, or like me um, didn't even realize at all until like when I talked to um, you know someone in a different situation my my reaction is that you know definitely do not take any offense mm -hmm. and um, in in the example of like where uh, people started to explain um, very basic stuff to me I uh, what I do is I I would just try to show in the conversation that I actually know, um, like I actually know way more than they assume that I I, I do, and um, do really really good work. Um, so eventually, I uh, I became person who um, people will go to for um, some areas of the code base, and um, certain kind of technology as well. Like it it was when the senior engineers started asking me or started coming to me for um, for a certain kind of technology, then that's like, you know, the moment when they really um, started to trust my ability and started to respect uh, me as well. Uh, I know that it's probably not fair um, that, and, and it is um, somewhat true that in a lot of first encounters, uh, women have to work extra hard to, um, to earn the respect and trust, even while like sometimes men just get that for for free. But um, you know, in in work encounters, is things are always more than just the first encounters, and um, exactly. and what the long term 
uh, impression that people have of you is um, not just like the first impression. Yeah, and uh, one thing um, about coding or problem solving in general is that your ability in solving problems really speak for itself. Mm. So, I I would say um, if we don't internalize any of the external biases, always be curious and always be learning and um, do good work and be. The best version that you could be um, that can really, really um, take you far, and by demonstrating that you, um, you know, you have the same ability as um, any other groups of people, can also slowly change the kind of um, implicit assumptions that people have about um, about women. I think for me, a lot of times um, actions. Speak louder than words. I do realize that there are、uh, explicit or implicit biases towards women in tech, and、um, and because we don't have enough women in tech, so、um, you know it, it, there's still a long way to go. And、um, what what I can do、um, to help change that is, first of all.、Um, Do really, really good work, and、um, and to 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 progress to progress as、um, you know, and and become a better engineer that I can be. I don't think we need a、uh, female examples, role models. So other young girls, they will say, "Oh, I got the yeah." There is some someone I can live for, I can aim for.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely.、Um, you you can only know what's possible when you see it. Yeah, exactly. Like all these are、uh, scientists in NASA, those women. Yeah, they set the example, so the future generation they will know. Oh, okay. Yeah, scientist is not just a male's job, but a woman as well.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even in sports, yeah, I used to work in sports. I do feel oh, it's even worse compared with tech. Women in sports, especially in football. Such a gender inequality、mm-hmm. there. The, you know, I've been watching football for twenty years, and every time people say, "Oh my God, you are football fan,、mm-hmm. unbelievable!" Like, What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very funny to see.、This. Yeah, definitely.、Um, I I think when um you know when when I was a kid, I never thought about that I would become a engineer. Is it's just like I haven't seen any of、um, women engineers ar- around me, and、um, my my first childhood dream was to become a teacher uh-huh. Uh-huh. because everyone、um, in my family was a teacher, and、um, we <laughs> we live in a school campus, so everyone else、um, that were like successful at,、um, and have a really good life,、yeah. um, they、um, they're teachers, so. Like that was my reality. That was what I could see. That's what I could、um, could aim for because that's you know the kind of things that I could imagine for myself without having exposure to other possibilities. So I do think that、um, you know having、uh, more women in tech and、um, having more exposure for、um, for women in tech is definitely a good thing. Uh, for me,、um, 
there are two things that I could do. Um, one thing is to become the best uh, version of myself that I could be. And then, um, you know, like my work and my actions can speak for themselves. And another way that I could do to help is um, I volunteered in a lot of, well, not a lot, but like in a few um, organizations where I help mentor um, women and other minority to uh, learn how to code. And, um, you know, for, um, for people who are just like studying or thinking about going into tech, they might not be aware of like what, what kind of career that is. What are the possibilities and what are the ways of getting into tech without prior um, knowledge or academic background? And mm -hmm. I've done it and, um, you know, like I, I found my own way. Uh, I, I'm sure like ev everyone has their own path into tech, but um, there are certain things that or certain kind of experiences that I could share with uh, people. And um, I can also help them um, just understand what kind of technology is in trend and uh, what's in demand in, um, in the market. And yeah, so I've been um, helping with organizing these kind of mentoring events and, um, and yeah, so I, I think that's the, um, mainly the two two things that I could do to help, and I I am very optimistic mm -hmm. because there are more and more women in tech, and um, especially especially in um, in the Web three point um, domain. I think mm -hmm. um, if you look at it, there are a lot of um, venture capitals that invest in, in crypto. Um, technology are um, are female is, and yeah there's definitely like way more um, women participation like yourself no. um, in in tech whether you um, you code or not uh, but like you are um, participating in um, in the movement you are you, you have your voice and you have your audience as long as like there are more exposures and um, it, it will become uh, it will become normal thing. Like we don't we don't need the hashtag women in tech anymore. It could become a normal. Yeah, nobody will question. Yeah, exactly. That. Like you you don't you don't see men in tech <laughs> hashtag, right? <laughs> yeah, I also found that a lot of people use pseudo names online. So sometimes maybe a guy, but they use a cartoon character, female cartoon character as their avatar. So you never know who behind this. <laughs> so I think gender won't matter that much. Maybe in the future is like your hair color or you have brown hair, dark hair or blonde. It's just your style. Even gender can be your style. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think you only stand out uh, because there are uh, very few of, of you in a group. Mm -hmm. Once it becomes a normal um, thing, then you know you won't stand out anymore. What we try to do is to really just normalize. Yeah, when, when I um, told people that I am a software engineer, and they were like, 
wow, that's a really hard thing. <laughs> but like,、yeah. no one really said that to to men. If they said they're、um, software engineer, they'll be like, "Oh, you are really smart." But they would never say like, "That's a really yeah. hard thing." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, same as football, as I mentioned. I just want that people won't say,、mm. "Oh my God, you are oh you're a girl and you're a football fan." <laughs> being a software engineer,、uh, being in tech, it's the same as in any other industry. We are、um, trying to solve problems. We are trying to make people's lives. Better, we are trying to improve efficiency. So, last question: What got you most excited about the future? I don't know. To be honest,、um, I'm as excited about the future as the as I am towards what I、um, like the present time. So, I don't really have like this idea of like how the Future is going to be so much better or so much more exciting because the present time is already so good and so exciting. <laughs> That's great, living the moment. <laughs> cool. Thank you for coming to the show. Hopefully, to see you very soon in person again. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> okay, I'll see you next time. All right, take care.